Life Street Stars. We got black excellence in the building. Owner and operator of the Breakfast Brothers, Ricky Booker. Appreciate y'all having me, man. Man, we appreciate you coming, man. We know you got a lot of things you do during the day. And yeah. we know that uh, you're a busy man. And yeah, we just appreciate you for coming to sit down man. and speak with us for a moment. I'm glad we finally was able to connect this, so. Now, I, I, you know, a lot of people might know you from, from the entertainment world, CKB. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But um, I want you to take us, you know, give us your backstory. Like, um, you know, you've been involved in a lot of big things in Dallas just over the years. You know what I'm saying? Take us through the story real quick. Okay. I, I actually moved to Dallas in, I guess it was around 94. So I've been here quite some time. And when I got here, you know, we, I had a, started with a couple gentlemen. They had a, a music. I always been into music for a long time because yeah. back in the day, Tony Thompson with High Five was my wife's first cousin, so I've been around the music for a long time. And um, I got here and one of my friends, which is my cousin, Roy Mims, had a, a label called Wino Records. And, and, and you know, we did that a little bit. I didn't understand what he was doing. He had a couple of cats from Florida that was doing the bounce music, but that was real popular then, so. And um, around- You was, was involved in music yourself? Yeah. Uh, what were you, um, either uh, uh, an artist? Were you on the band? No, nah, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't do none of that. For some odd reason, I had an ear for music. All I did was buy a lot of music, put stereos in my car, as loud as it could get if the neighbor's car was louder than mine, the next day I wouldn't put the money in and made mine louder. Damn. So I was always into buying music and knowing, you know, just researching and doing that sounds and different things. I knew how to um, um, EQ sounds. I'm surprised I never was an engineer in the studio, mm -hmm. okay. but I just knew how to come up with sounds and that's where it kind of came in. I just grew up around it. All right, so you're saying uh, you're, you're in Dallas, uh, music was the first passion. Mm -hmm. um, and take us into that journey as far as I mean, what transitioned you out of that journey. Well, what transitioned, when I got started, my sister originally had, in 1995, when Oklahoma City bombing happened, I created a memorial around her. So CKB is her name, Cassandra mm. K. Booker. So I created that in 95, and in 95 it was called CKB Records. Then I flipped it to CKB Entertainment around 2000. And um, my first artist I had was a, a guy which was one of my best friends. I grew up in Oklahoma City. His name was a Teaspoon. And we had a song called Dirty Third, which was kind of around the South. It was a big record. It was doing big things. And, and from that point, me and him kind of went to different directions. His music never connected no more. And you know, I, I stayed in the studios doing things. And, and I end up running to Behem, which he was actually dating my daughter at the time. You know, he, uh, Ricky Ronnie, Bobby yeah, Ricky Bobby. Damn. Yeah, and uh, he. You, you just let him, allowed him to date your daughter? You, well, at the, the, I didn't know he was rapping. He used to come to my house. That's, they was youngsters, you know. Was this, oh, I was about to say, was this before the Ricky Bobby? Oh, yeah, this was way before the Ricky okay, Bobby. Okay, okay, I was about to say. So, you know, and rap. I was going to lead up to the story. You know, uh, y'all wanted me to start from the beginning yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah, go through before that. we get to the end. So, I'm giving y'all, I'm giving you the story. A lot of people don't know the story, so I'm telling the story right here on the couch. Real life sweet stars. That's right. So. He hung at my house, you know, I feed, you know, you got people coming to your house, you feed them, do all that. Around this time, he was in the ninth grade. So he started bringing me music, and I started listening to it. And then I said, man, it's a hundred brothers on here, man. You, I got to wait till 30 minutes to hear you on it. Right. And he kept bringing me, I said, man, quit bringing me music with a hundred niggas on it. I mean, excuse me, hundred niggas on it. Talk to him. And he, and, and he said, well, man, 
that's why you know we a group, we this, we that. I said, well, man, I want to hear you. Bring me some music you. But at the time, that was the Game Boys. Behem was part of the Game Boys, which was Technique, oh, Eclipse, wow. and all them Juan. So one night, fast forward to that, it was a Thursday he brought me. I heard him in the, in, in the living room because my son used to cut hair at the house because that's when he was grooming to be a barber to what he's doing now for, for his life. So I kept hearing him say, take it to him, take it to him. He said, nah, man, he gonna trip. So finally he brought me the CD in the living room. I said, what's this, another CD with a bunch of, bunch of cats all over it and y'all jumping all and the sound is all messed up? He said, nah, nah, it's just me. So I went outside and you know, I was still in the music because I was in the custom shop and I had a, a charger, I popped it in and it started going. Do, 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 do. I was like, okay, this kind of jam, kind of corny, but the beat was, you know, you know, back then you got sound in your car, that beat was stupid. So I went back in the house and I said, who done, who, what, what, what you, and I was, I was speechless. I said, who done this? He said, me and my partner got together and we done, done this, done this song. I said, man, this sound pretty good. So I went back in there. And I laid down, started watching TV again. That just that song was just stuck in my head. So I got up, and I called, you know, back then local D, local DJ G Rock, you know, G Rock. I need you to check this song out. He said, "What is it?" I said, "Come to the office tomorrow. I want you to hear this song." Can I can I stop you real yeah. quick? How do you have? How was you able to build all these relationships in music? Uh, just, I just want to brief because I. You know, I've only known you for the food. So I, you know, and I like to think I know a lot of people right. in the music industry. And this, I, I haven't just became recently familiar with you until this. Okay. So I just, and I don't I, want to sidetrack you. I just want to. It's, it's two things that I was always involved in. There was music and there was uh, custom cars. So I used to be in the custom car shop. So I worked for JR's Custom Auto in Irving. So I used to meet a lot of people from Greg Street. Uh, I even, that's when I met DeVille, DeVille. So I transitioned to where I got my own shop because I oh. met a lot of professional athletes. You know, me and George Lynch, who used to play in the NBA yes, basketball. Me and mm -hmm. him teamed up and became partners in a shop called Igon Auto Designs that was in Las Colinas. So we were shipping cars and doing cars. So I met a lot of people in transition that, that were stars that was behind the scenes that, mm -hmm. and I just grew from there. And, you know, the Patrick Amen. Cratons, the Marion Barbers, the, Marcus Spears, everybody, I built all their cars. I was okay. shipping cars to Indiana, to the WNBA. Um, uh, what's the girl that just, that was in WNA to just- Brittany Renner? No, this is back when they first started. Uh, yeah, she went to the Chicago team. I put wheels on her car when she first got in the league. So, you know, being around that era, people just knew me in the car era. So that's where it started coming in. I, you know, when G-Rock had this, he had an old raggedy Impala. And I took Boy. the Impala and, and we totally tricked it out. Man, it up I'm maroon. talking about that Impala was fire. Yeah, but that's the Impala I built. Oh, man. That maroon yeah. with the 22s. Yeah, 22 he had on. sirens on that motherfucker. Yeah. He had, like, he yeah. would think he was pulling you over and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, right. so, so, damn, so you used the, these connections that you built. And you said, was this the Ricky Bobby song that he brought to you? Or what was the name? Behem brought the song Ricky Bobby See, to So me. he brought it to you. Okay. Right. And then I turned around, and the next day I took it to G-Rock, and G-Rock listened to it. And this was on a Friday. And he said, man, who's this? And I said, you know, my daughter's boyfriend, be him. And, and he said, man, this, this, this hit hard. Hold on a second. So G-Rock picked up the phone in my office and called DJ Drop. 
with definition DJs. Right. He said, man, I need you to get with me on this song. He said, I need to hear it. He said, okay, cool. We'll, we'll get together another time. So they did, and definition DJs and Texas Trill, which was G-Rock, got behind the record. And G-Rock wanted B-Hemp two days later to come perform the record at Ribbon City. You know, in them days, Ribbon City on the Sunday was stupid. Nah, so G-Rock wants you to perform. And he's like, huh? At, at Ribbon City, he said, okay, cool. He, he just knew the words to the song. He said, well, I'm gonna bring the producer too because he's gonna do me a, he gonna do a, a show track for me. I said, cool. So when he brought the producer to, to my house, the little young light-skinned dude, I think it's this time, he's about 17. And his name, you know, it's B. Star, right? Yeah, his name was Brandon Hinshaw and B. Hemp's name is Brandon Hampton. And that was Youngstar. Right. So I ended up signing Youngstar to CKB and B. Hemp was to CKB. So and right out the gate, you just poof, out yeah, the park. and right out the gate, we went over to Ribbon City, and the song took off. They performing it, and everybody in the club, you know, this was back when MVR was, they song was bubbling and doing good. The Road, uh, 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 Holly Berry, all those records, right. and then B-Hemp came in, Stinky Leg, B-Hemp, Ricky Bobby just. Now, at, at this time, was B-Hemp looking like, damn, your, your daddy the plug for real, like, for you to make that call yeah. and get it, get him, get him on but like you, that. But you got to understand something, when, when it's a hit, ain't no question. That's just what it is. You can't buy a DJ. You can't do nothing. When a record is a hit, it's a hit. Yeah, but it's one thing to bring a hit to somebody who can make the call. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when it's a hit, they make the call. But when it ain't a hit and you got the relationship, they'll still do things for you because of the relationship you have. But at the end of the day, when it's a hit, they make the calls and they move. And that's what, that's what happened with the Ricky Bobby. So Ricky Bobby takes off, you know, he's pretty much uh, uh, one of the heads of the boogie era. Where do we go from here? What, what are we doing? City to city what? And man, Ricky Bobby, we traveled Germany. I mean, probably, we touched probably every city in the United States around that time. We was getting on a plane, GS boys was getting off the plane. Sometimes we getting on the plane with the GS boys in the same city. Sometimes they would leave one city and come meet us. We were literally doing radio shows and shows. Sometimes we'd have to drive to one city to do a radio show, get on the plane to catch the plane to get to the next city for the next show. That's how it was moving. He had licenses deal with, with a race team, car team, a pro bull licensing deal. He had a shoe deal. He had a, 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 a designer eyewear deal. It, Ricky Bobby brought a lot of licenses to him. You know, B-Hem didn't wear shades. He didn't wear shoes. He had Rockport deal. He didn't care nothing about none of that. <laughs> now, now, I got to ask, you know, he's blowing up. At the time, does this cause friction with your daughter? Because it's like, you know, as a, as a male is, is grinding and, and, and making the waves, he probably... I put it this way, it didn't cause too much <laughs> friction with her because they were already at odds anyway, breaking up. It didn't turn to the point. So oh. I, I can tell you this, but I will say as a man and as a father, me and him didn't have no differences because... You know, what he did, he did. He was a man. You know, sometimes a man be a man. And unfortunately, he didn't, Behemp wasn't the type of one that was verbally, he wasn't abusive. He didn't whoop on women and all that. So at the end of the day, I, me and him didn't have no problem. But I'm, if I tell you we was on the road and be 20 girls sitting in the parking lot at the hotel, I can't tell you that. Okay. Give <laughs> <laughs> stories for another documentary. <laughs> Like, she got to come home for Thanksgiving dinner, this nigga at the table. Like, like daddy, come on. Like, she, it, still, it started bothering her a little bit because me and him did everything together. We went to the movies. We was dead. Daddy, we what's he doing? Bro. What is he doing? Hey. 
Oh man, we catch a good movie now, yeah, man. When you, hey, when you get a relationship with an artist, it's tough, man. You do everything with them. They got keys to your house and your cars. Man, for real. I'm curious, um, <laughs> if you could speak on it, how lucrative uh, was those times for you as far as you know signing him and making all these uh, licensing I, deals and things like that? I'll how tell you this. Sometimes when things take off so fast, you don't really pay attention to how lucrative because you're spending it as you're getting it. Right, facts, yeah. So if I could tell you if we could sit, if we could sit back and take care of the money era and was paying attention to that, we probably both would have a lot of money, but we wasn't paying attention to that. What would you have, now that you, what you've learned in the game and after starting uh, other businesses and things of that nature, what would you have done with that song, that era, differently uh, seeing how the landscape is now with TikTok, with owning masters and things like that, what would you have done differently with just the movement of that of signing both Youngstar and uh, Behab and having that song, you know, be, you know, doing what it did? Actually, I would have paid attention to what Youngstar and Behab really was putting together. They was they had put together Dr. Dre in the Snoop Dogg situation. Mm. We started listening to the label. His next single that Young Star produced was called I'll Be Jiggin'. But the label wanted to go with a record with Deron Jones from 112 and make B-Hemp this LL Cool J dude. All the mm. girls already loved him, but they loved him in the dance area. They didn't love him to be a GQ type of dude. Right. So I allowed the record. And in the next rec single, we already had ready, and it was already taken off on YouTube. People in Japan was already doing to dances to it, to the I'll Be Jiggin' record. And Youngstar produced that too. So they had a chemistry that I allowed the, the record company to disconnect. And Youngstar and Behem chemistry, Youngstar got to a point where he wanted to be the artist and Behem was the artist. And the chemistry started falling off and the label started taking it happening and I allowed it. Yeah. So I would do different to where I would allow Youngstar to be the, the, the artist alone with the artist. Youngstar wanted to be out front too. He didn't want to just be the producer that sit in the room and wait for the artist to come back and record. That is so that's the difference that I would do. I, and then Youngstar ended up going off and doing other things with two chains and the thing. He, no he ended up doing big things. No facts. Yeah, was, he, great, was, great. he was a genius in his time, and he was young. Matter of fact, he was too young to get into some of the places he was going. So he was lying about his age. So you know, <laughs> he was a he was a star in his own right, and I never would I never listened to that. It was mm -hmm. almost kind of like if y'all remember the Dame Dash and the Kanye's. Uh, uh, yeah, story. The, the G you just do the beats, Jay-Z gonna rap. And that's kind of what I did with Youngstar and Behem. So that's the only thing I would change, if I could change now. Was, was Youngstar with you when he made the 2 Chains beat, or was No, Youngstar had already split off and, and started doing his own thing. And by that time, you know, he was with my boy Corn, signed with Polar Hits, and he did some things with Polar Hits back in the day, too. So Youngstar ended up being an independent beast when he came to records and he started his own production team and done his own thing. But he was always a, that individual that was a genius when it came to that. He just, he was young and he knew what he wanted to do. And he would come up with things, cause when he did, did I Be Jigging, I said, man, I, one thing I noticed when we got, when Ricky Bobby took off, Bebe was real big in the breaking of Ricky Bobby as well through Louisiana time. And so when Grambling and the bands and the H HBCUs, you know, those initials. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Start doing that. So I said, Young Star, we need to do, you need to do the next song to where a band can play it. So I Be Jigging was an anthem, band the, anthem that he made drum production and came out with it. And Behem came up with a song with another dance that was called I Be Jigging. Man. I Be Jigging, right? I Be Jigging. Yeah. That song. And I allowed the chemistry to be disconnected because the label was wanting to move a different Man. direction. It happens like that. Um, I'm curious on your thoughts as far as, uh, Coming in at 94, 
being related to High Five, um, what are your thoughts on the Boogie era of Dallas? Like seeing Dallas early on and right there at that Boogie era, like you said, you were in Germany and uh, uh, GS boys coming off the plane, y'all getting on. What was your thoughts on the Boogie era at that time and did we kill our own movement? With that. No, no, we didn't kill our own movement. What happened was, you got to understand, in those days what was happening, Soulja Boy had just started the wave of YouTube. Soulja Boy had got in the wave of the ringtones. So GS, our boogie movement was right in the middle of that transition where, where it was going from CDs to streaming. So we was in the middle of where things was going viral without having the internet, and DJs was being involved in pushing records still. So we didn't have the opportunity to... Uh, you know, I'm always to the point where you go, to, you go from urban hip-hop or hip-hop R&B to you cross over to, 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 to the top 40 side. Yeah. You know, just same way with Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne's been a rapper for 13, 14, 15 years, and then when he crossed over with Lollipop, it made him huge. So we ever had the opportunity to cross over into the TikTok world. In those eras, the boot, we didn't kill the own movement. What killed the movement is because we were getting deals that the record label was getting, they looked at numbers and they were still trying to figure out that streaming too. They just seen a bunch of numbers from the Dallas artists. So we were getting those small deals and they were jumping on top of those deals and creating, getting the sales and creating the sales and, and getting all the money. And the money was transitioning into streaming at the time when the Boogie Movement was going on. If you think about it, Boogie Movement helped design the streaming to pop. So okay. we didn't kill ourselves. We actually was in the era of wave that the label didn't understand what was going on. It was just a, a wave that happened without the, in the independence, once again, being the pigeons, helped them understand. So they started capitalizing mm -hmm. and conquering YouTube, buying YouTube from the independent, buying uh, Google and connecting all those dots. And if you think about it, sound exchange, uh, uh, those things, they started trying to figure out. And that's why Mm -hmm. I believe, this is just my opinion, the boogie movement didn't get killed. It was just in the middle of a transition that wasn't you know, understanding the industry at the time. You know, I used to work at a uh, record shop called Eargasm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they was, they was one of the biggest markets for CDs in, uh, out in uh, Dallas at the time. And I just remember that being a weird time trying to figure out, like, how's, how are we going to sell these CDs and everybody got... You know, they started streaming, but, and then you can. But you gotta understand whole, something about that owner, James. James was a mastermind. He knew what was happening before, mm -hmm. and people didn't understand it, so nobody was listening to him. Yeah, no, and I remember he really tried right. to jump. He tried to jump ahead of the curve. Right. But it was stronger than all. It was the current was so hard. It took everybody. It just swept everybody. Right. But James tried to get ahead of that before everybody. Right. So, um. So I hate that. Uh, I said. The, just gave you the breakfast brothers because it seemed like you just had so many your hands and so many things what made you even transition us out of the music well when it when when things start happening when you got to the point where me managing behem and we wanted to have our own club to start playing our own music it got to the point where it started getting hard we were looking for the next ricky bobby mm -hmm. and like i say the relationships that I had with DJs, they still was playing the music, but it wasn't quite where it should have been. So I said, you know what? I told b one day, I said, man, we're going to get our own club, we're going to have our own DJs, and we're going to break our own records. And he's like, how you going to do that? I said, I don't know yet. So one day I was sitting there, you know, this was, I forget what promotions was going on then, and I seen a phone party 
promotion come up. Maybe it was a flyer, and it was DJ Frosty. And I said, I keep hearing his name. I said, we're going to go to this phone party, be him and, and, and Denton. I'm going to go talk to this DJ Frosty. He was a white, white guy. So we went out there, and then, I mean, we got out, we went down this back road and down these back streets, and then we finally came to a neighborhood like they took a whole old house and converted it into a club off campus. And it was a line of cars. I mean, it was packed. And when we got to, I got to the front door. I said, I'm here to see DJ Frosty. And they said, ah, oh, it's going to cost $20. No, nah, I just need to talk to him. I ain't tripping to pay him, but I just need to talk to Frosty. And Hemp was behind me. He said, tell him B. Hemp was here. And the girl was, oh, my God, it's B. Hemp. You know, they started going crazy. You know, they had. So he came out. I said, man, I don't want to take your time, man, but um, B. Hemp looking for a travel DJ. I think you might be what we need. So he said, oh, man, I, let's talk. So I said, I'll come back out here next week. We talk. So I went back out there and took him lunch. We sat down and talked. And Frosty signed the CKB as a DJ. He became DJ's B. B. Hemp's DJ, yeah. travel DJ. And you know, I had a whole lot of options to make him his travel DJ, but I started I always think out of the box. Frosty's a white guy. And when people see a black DJ on travel, that's normal. That's typical. So that, you know, ain't, I won't say ain't no excitement about it, but you know, that's typical. So when we took Frosty out, him and Behem had a show, and you had this white dude DJing, and they had these skits with Miley Cyrus and all this thing going, so people was going crazy. So I said, you know, you dance. Man, we need to put something else with this. And, I said, and he said, what? I said, well, we need to get some kind of dancer. And Frosty's like, I know somebody. And I said, who? He said, White Boy Boogie. So I signed Kevin to CKB. White Boy Boogie was part of CKB. And then we started doing that. Then I said, now we need to get a club. So I started calling around my relationship, and I called AJ and Fred, and it was Club Pier. And he said, well, we got somebody at Friday night. I'll give you a Thursday. I said, I don't care. I'll do the Thursday. I said, no, nah, i just wait for the Friday. So he said, well, I'm going to get this guy one more week. And I said, all right. So he gave him one more week, and, and, and he pulled him. He said, well, I got a Friday for you now. And I'll never forget. It was the Friday we was going to have was December 24th, Christmas Eve. And, and I said, well, man, this is what we're going to do. We're going to promote. We're going to go buy this purse, be him. We're going to get on the Internet. We're going to get on Twitter. You're going to promote. We're going to get this purse away to a girl. And I got Loop, which is with High Life now. Back then, it was ATS the, the Design. Isha yeah. e. Ray, which was Raise Up. Campus, campus Queens, the DJ, um, the DJ uh, 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 Campus Kings, DJ Frosty's crew. Uh, we had, which DJ Trill was with this one. GMS right. with Daryl and them. They, I had like six promotion teams under the umbrella, but I started with Luke and Frosty. And we did the show, and I hired, I, that's when J. Cruz first came to town, and I got him to host it. And it was cold, real cold. So we promoted, we put in like a month promotion, and here it is, it's grand opening day. Flop, nobody showed up. I felt like Bugsy Siegel did when he did the Flamingo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on Christmas Eve. <laughs> what do you feel killed that, killed, like, was it someone else? Was it because it's Christmas Eve, or was someone else in town? Like, what, what, what killed that I, night? I think at that time, it just, they wasn't ready for us. J-Rock was Club Cirque, period. Club Cirque was going down, and J-Rock was Club Cirque, and it was around the corner. Right, right, so right. They right. killed it. So the, the next day, Luke said, man, uh, man, I don't do this. That made us look bad. I said, nah, nah, nah. I went to AJ. He said, well, man, that, that was bad. That was worse than the dude that I just put out. <laughs> and, and I said, give me four weeks, four weeks. Four weeks, you give me four weeks, it don't happen, I'm, we done. Within that third, that fourth week, 
It was a line. Jump club pure to 7-Eleven for had, two years. Yeah, you had pure. You had pure? For two years. Man, pure was always stupid. <laughs> <laughs> for two years. Yeah, it was yeah, it was years. up there with them, like Club Blue, like Wind City, where you can yeah. go in and, yeah. That, that two was years. Cool. Then right. Frosty was so cold with it to where we started trending on Twitter, and I didn't even know what that meant. Right. Oh, he started telling me about that. Then he built he built some codes for Facebook to where you can go on and promote and hit one click and copy and paste it, click it, and then you can add all your friends at one time instead of you know how Facebook did it. Right. right so right. we got all everybody was in our promo team, all of their codes and all their logins, and we was doing that. So we was inviting. So we had Twitter. Did you learn this on the fly? That seemed, that seemed like you like had some genius shit man, going I, on, man. That's why I got these bags on my eyes, man. I don't get no sleep, bro. I, I wake up with ideas. It just, they come to me. You know, like uh, 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 Pukio, the, yeah. it's just me calling. Just calling man. Me, man. I, I, I come up with ideas all the time, man. And, just, and then sometimes it takes me a little while to initiate them. But when I initiate them, it just like it, it takes off. I ain't going to lie. They ain't really put enough respect on your name, bro, because <laughs> you got a lot of shit. Bro, what? Nah, for real. <laughs> We, that's why we be doing these interviews because we be trying to capture Dallas history. I and never wanted to do this. I ain't, I ain't, nah, ain't about the, the interviews and the cameras. No, nah, but you got to tell the story. Now, the realest talk because Bobo Luciano was here one day and he was like, y'all really need to learn y'all Dallas history. Like, and who really put this shit together? And it's like, like you saying, like, like, bro, you, I, you, from, from my vantage point growing up, Ricky B. Hemp just blew himself up. <laughs> That's what you think as a kid. Like he just, I don't know who orchestrated that nothing, but he's like, he do a Ricky Bobby. Well, him and Young saw orchestrated. They just brought it to me. But you, man, come on now. You signed them. Like, most people would be like, yeah, you got it. I'm going to call it. But you like, I'm going to sign y'all. It, don't, it takes a lot of personal. It, def it definitely does. Now, let me, I got to ask. After, because you went two for two right out the gate. Did you try to sign anybody else after that? Because I think you had Billy Green too, right? No, I'll I, I tell you, BC Southern Fried Market had Billy Green. Okay, but okay. I will tell you. That I was real instrumental in talking to Trilly and Prince Rick. DeRo. Four for four. Um, uh, you got to tell me Boys. about a miss, bro. Um, <laughs> Who did you miss on? I missed, I missed on DeRo. I missed on you Trilly miss and on Prince Rick. I missed on DeRo. DeRo came to me and brought me. This is the oh, story. Oh, you're saying you didn't sign. You I had the chance He to brought sign. me Holly Berry. Oh, man. And I said, whose song is this? It's another guy on the song. He said, well, it's, it's my partner. You know, we go to college together. And it was Superstar. It's his rig. I said, well, you're going to have to go get clearance first and tell me what's up with that. And he said, okay, cool. So he did that, but it never transpired, but he kept bringing me, uh, records. So him and DJ Merck brought me this record called Ice Cream Paint Job. And I listened to it, I said, well, this jam. And, Merck, and I still didn't move on the road. And so, Damn. you know, I used to watch BDS and Media Base a lot. Then I started seeing Ice Cream Paint Job being played in San Francisco on the radio. And next thing you know, it went for like three, four spins. Then it went to 120 spins. That was the only station in the whole th United States playing the road. And the next thing you know, it just popped. And he was out of there. I'm just curious on your thoughts as far as, you know, Dallas seemed like with Pure, Pure turned up, right? It seems like Dallas clubs be having like a good two, three-year run, then they're gone. Is it because of the promoters? Is it because of another club taking business? Or what is it? Because there's no seem to be long-standing club that's, you know, years if not decades you in the got, game. You got to understand something. When you create excitement at a club or a wave at a club, they only last two or three years. Okay. But if so you create, that don't have nothing to do with Dallas. But if you create a club to be a staple, like, like a culture, G, like GG's was. G, yeah, GG's is a culture. That's a culture. Like dreams. 
Man. Yeah. Cultures. So, man, I went to Gigi's. The only reason why Gigi's ain't here no more, yeah, because the they they, they bought right. the the yeah. property. I yeah. thought it'd still be here if it. No, it'd definitely still be here. Yeah. Gigi's. Would, during them times, like Pierre and Cub Blue, that was like the uh, the Molly era, where people was popping Mollies and Cirque was the Molly era. Where the pill man in? Like, like when you used to go to the club, like how much fun did you just have? Just see, because that's when everybody used to dance and used to have fun. It actually was clubs to go well, to. I'm gonna be honest, I didn't go to clubs unless I was working the front door. I was taking the artists, getting the record played, or I owned the club. But me just to go hang out at the club, I, I didn't do that. You was an OG at this point. You was an OG at this point. That shit didn't even matter to you. Yeah. So. So. Oh, how many how many clubs did you own? Huh? How many clubs did you own? Did I want? No. Did you own? I didn't own none of them. Oh. Okay. Well, so far up to the point, just recently in 2017, the first club that I owned was King of Diamonds. Kod. We still own the name. We end up oh, transitioning because the building, the landlord. Just getting us out of the building, but we own the name, trademark, me and my business partner. You own King of Diamonds? King, King of Diamonds Diamond Mondays. The original King of Diamonds owner is called Lenny Moore. He's from Miami. Yeah. He's originally, if y'all remember in King of Diamond days, we brought him to King of Diamonds as a guest two times. Right. Right. I remember. Co-signed us. And King he of said, Diamond Mondays. Right. Is, uh, is the strip club business a lucrative business? Strip club business is a lucrative business. But the one thing that, that you can take out of content of strip club, strip club is to sell fantasies. What we're doing now, we're taking strip clubs and creating venue halls, concert halls. Strip club is about the women. And that's the reason why we had success. You notice when we had King of Diamonds, when we bring King of Diamonds back, quote, unquote, it's about the women. It's about the women. Period. Do you feel it got more lucrative when they start letting women come into strip clubs without male escorts? It got, to me, it's a wave because where we're at now, and it's unfortunate, but women like women just like we like women. Right. So at the end of the day, these things happen. When they stop letting the women come in, they can come in solo without the men. I think that was the best thing that they did. Right. Because men want to go where the women are at. You got women going without, with clothes on, and you got women with clothes off. So that's the best of both worlds. You know, I feel like, I feel like the strip club lost this luster when it lost that little bit of shame that went with it when you went. <laughs> like, you know how you go, you never, you didn't, like, you never knew a female was a stripper unless you went to the goddamn club and seen her in yeah. there. Like, that was the fantasy, like, oh, you'll never see her anywhere. Because you see us, now you see them, the, the young ladies and they regular, they, they on Instagram, they pro, meet me at work. I'm not even supposed to know you exist. Right. When I come in here, it's like a, a another, see, another but dimension. But see, the world's changed. Social media is a platform for promotion, so it's just where you promote, period. And that's just what it is. Whatever it is you got going on, you promote it. So here, here on Real Life Street Stars, when you reopen King of Diamonds, <laughs> can Real Life Street Stars get a night? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. But as long and as we got you on camera, as long as y'all understand, it's about the women. If it's about the women, nigga, we we, we love women. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so so King of Diamonds, there was some wild shit that used to happen. Like, um, was it one of the wide receivers from Dallas Cowboys foot racing in the parking lot or some wild shit? <laughs> I, that was at, that probably was at Onyx. Right? Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. But one of the things that used to happen a lot um, in the strip club culture is 
I remember like some clubs would hate on other clubs and like call like the uh, the fire marshal or some shit to try to get them shut down. What what part of the game is that? Is that just? I I, I never understood that part of it. Is you know, King of Diamonds, we we used to get beat to death with with city officials coming over there, fire marshals, um, health inspectors. You know, it comes to the point you create a a, a standard wave and. I don't know where this come from. I can't even prove if that, that comes, but we did, fire marshals did tell us, now they have a platform, they watch social media. So whoever has the high profile of promotions, that's where they come. So yeah. I don't think technically, it may have started people calling on you, but they got smarter. They start watching to see where the, the high end of promotions. So just say for instance, if you bring in a high, uh, a rapper, a high-profile celebrity a rapper, and you, the promotions is insane, it's all over the place. It may, it may be a chance that that fire marshal gonna show up right when you open your doors just to mess with you. Just to fuck with you. Yeah. And that didn't have nothing to do with that another owner call you, it just had something to do with that your promotion game was strong enough. See, that's another thing I was like, man, when they start bringing rappers in, it's, no, I don't wanna come here to see no rapper. I don't wanna see no nigga, period. Except the ones that work here. I want to see the ladies. I don't want to see them. I don't want to know. That's why. What, what, what the fuck you saying? <laughs> yeah, 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 I don't like, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, like, I ain't going to lie. You kind of blowing our mind in this interview. What else you got going, man? You got. No, wait, wait, wait. While we're on strip clubs, because, you know, Laura Miller came in, her husband was found out there, she wanted to shut all strip clubs down. She's like, fuck it. What was the craziest thing? in your ownership uh, that happened, would you say, under your tutelage of uh, King of Diamonds? That you were like, oh, sh you got a phone call, you're like, oh, shit. When uh, a bank called, that's when we stopped taking credit cards, period. The bank called and tried to shut down $5,000. Uh, I ain't gonna say who the player was out of Miami. Wife called to shut the, dispute the card. Shut the oh, shut down. I should already cashed out for one. Charge back. Yeah, you gotta you gotta understand something. When the wives see those things, they they'll dispute them. So after that, we just quit taking. You can't get ones with credit cards. Period. To tell every to every dancer, to all the dancers, can y'all bring that money back up here? <laughs> Man, hold on, hold on. You know, hold on. And you know what? I did not know that you could get ones with a credit card. Oh yeah. Same. I did not know that. They just charge you a tax. Yeah. I seen a white boy going to ecstasy. He's like, yeah, I'd like to buy, he was out there, I'd like to buy a thousand ones. Pull out his credit, that's what he said, I'd like to buy a thousand ones. They slid his credit card for like one, 1100. Yeah. Bro, and I, bro, if he's gonna write it, bro, I know he did it on the company card. But, but the chargebacks that you get from the wives or the girlfriends or whoever pay the bills see it, they cut it out, they shut it down. And then that's why a lot of times when you got a you, credit card merchant accounts won't set up credit cards with entertainment companies, strip clubs. So you have to, you got to do some different things now, to get the credit cards. Now let me ask you this, and this from your opinion, why are the Houston strippers so much more popular than the Dallas strippers? You say why what? Are the Houston strippers so much more popular than the Dallas strippers? You gotta, you gotta understand something. The culture in Houston and Dallas yeah. is different. If you pay attention, Houston has, I can't even, I'm just gonna make it up. They probably have five, six major colleges right there. Mm -hmm. You got girls coming from California. You got them from, coming from all over the United States. So you know you got that many girls coming in 
eight to nine months of the year right there in Houston, and they come to the strip club, they look better, they have more money, and then a lot of times in the culture of people there, the culture there is more like this when they come to our so, urban culture, they all stick together, so they turn key. Dallas, we don't never disconnect anything, but we don't have some of the things that Houston have, and that comes, and we had six major colleges, our we have more popping clubs along and last, lasting longer. You know, so, so we, need the, we got one club here that's SMU, but you know, so we need some SBCUs out here. Yeah, yeah. So that that makes a difference. So that's why sometimes when people ask me about Houston, I don't compare them. The only comparison I see, you got all those major colleges right in the inner city. Man, that's and, that's, and you got that many people in the inner city for eight to nine months of out of a year. That's not. Nah, that's that's a great. That's an awesome point. And young, and want to do something. Kappa Beach was lit. U of H was lit. <laughs> Prairie View lit. Yeah. TSU. TSU lit. Drake made a whole song. Yeah. So, again, man, you kind of blowing our mind over here, man. So you you popped too. I really, hold on. Why did you even start doing food? Like, what? I got, I got did you just like, time? well, fuck it, I can cook too. Yeah. Like, well, I, I, I cooked all my life. I cooked at home. My kids used to tell me to start cooking. I said, man, I'm not doing that. So, I've been managing artists. I've been in custom car business. I made a living. And when we got King of Diamonds, it didn't have a kitchen in it. So me and my business partners was like, man, we need to get somewhere to buy food. So they started researching and found the little black trailer for $3,000, put it in the back of King of Diamonds, had electro, electrical for it, and we started selling food. You know, I, they wanted me to get involved, so we made a small menu, and I made the menu, and, they, and my partner bought uh, got, I think, about three cooks, and they was in there cooking, and food was selling, but it sucked. So, me and him was going back and forth, and he said, man, won't you just do it? I said, man, I'm not doing that. I ain't, I'm, 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 we running the club. I do, I, we're doing the day-to-day operations. So, I started seeing the numbers. I said, man, it looked like we just buying food to pay the cooks. We're not making no money at this, but we wasn't, I wasn't tripping. If you broke even just to satisfy the customers that's coming, they want food at after our spot. But I don't want to lose one penny doing it. <laughs> so when they started doing that, I said, man, I went up in the office one night. And I said, man, this is not going to work, man. Y'all got to do something about that kitchen. It's about a month. And, and, and he yelled, won't you do something about it then? If you know so goddamn much. And I said, I will. I walked down the stairs, went out, looked in the trailer, like, you, you, and you. This was the first, the whole first stab that, we, that nobody even knew about. <laughs> Get the fuck out. <laughs> so you, you, and you, get the fuck out. Yeah, locked the door, locked it up, went back upstairs, and both of them was up there laughing. I was like, what's so funny? We, I just knew if I make you that mad, you was going to do something about it. Went out there, and a week later, started hiring cooks and started getting the, the recipes together, making sure the food was right. And by the second week, we opened it up. People started buying the food, and then word got around, took off. People lining up at that truck to five, six o'clock in the morning buying food. And it's crazy because it got like he's like people didn't even come to go to get in the club. <laughs> he's like, yeah, they was coming to uh, get the food. Yeah, you know. And then it came to the point, like I say, people that didn't even that didn't even come to go to strip clubs and see girls was coming to buy that food. I ain't gonna lie, I pulled up. <laughs> yeah, I done pulled up uh, many times. Uh, that fried rice. <laughs> yeah, y'all yeah, was serving shit that didn't make no sense. <laughs> now that was so. So yeah, man. So you 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 fix it. So that was the origin of you starting to say, okay, 
I can I can do this on my own. I can start my own restaurant. But, but we we weren't thinking about that. We okay. were just thinking about serving good food right. to the customers, and the numbers was going up. Gotcha. So in this time, we ended up losing the building, and we had to go right before we lost the building. We bought Pink Lounge. Okay. So we, we bought Pink Lounge. So we we me and my business partner owned Pink Lounge, and that was like July 2017. So we started running Pink Lounge, and we it started going. And King of Diamonds was still open. And that was right when we was finna shut down and renovate the locker room. And landlord had some different this differences that he wanna do, so he pulled the plug on us. So we took the trailer, took it over to Pink Lounge, did the same thing, put the plug in it, put it in there. And I got with three promoters, and they came, they wanted to do a R what they call R and B Fridays, three promoters. It was it was if y'all know these names, it was Stink, Willie, and Thugger. They did R&B Fridays, and they started promoting it. And I remember that night, 50 people showed up the first Friday, the next Friday, 75, and it grew. And the next thing you know, they said, man, we need to, this food is good. We need to start promoting the food with that. And next thing you know, seven, 800 people was coming to Pink Lounge. It was lying of cars. That, that block was like Grand Central Station over there, man. It was stupid. <laughs> Every Friday. Man. And they was head-busting at Pink Lounge to get in that. Yeah. yeah. $40. What? Yeah pink, yeah, pink Lounge is, Pink Lounge was a staple of Oak Cliff and will still be going too, but we went mm -hmm. through some transition with the HOA in the city and they ended up putting the plug on that. But before they pulled the plug on it, they came, they started coming out because we, there was so much traffic going there Friday, Saturdays to where the whole block was crazy. So the city officials was coming to see what was wrong. Yeah, so they started coming. Yeah, because you were parked in front of a person's house to go yeah, to Pink Checking out, um, permits and all that and everything was clean and then one night he walked on the patio with his clipboard on the the code inspector and he looked to the left and the little black trailer always used to sit right next to the patio and he's like what's that i said oh, that's our food truck i didn't know nothing about no permits we just in there cooking good food right he went in that trailer he was in there about 45 minutes came out and said shut it down i'm surprised nobody ain't died in this thing no permits and in the summertime we used to have all the doors open propane tanks hanging out the back in the wintertime, we had all the doors shut with the fires open for heat because it didn't have no AC or air. And then when it rained, it leaked. So they made us pull it, and I said, man. And then from that point, R&B Fridays just started going like this. And, and Thug and them was like, man, we're going to get food. So we started figuring out how to get food. And, and after that, I said, man, they ain't going to let me bring the trailer back. So we started trying to figure out how to buy a food truck. But by this time, the numbers was dropping so drastically that Thug and Stink and Willie was like, man, we got to do something. So and end up transitioning to where the club just flatlined. Right. So and I said, man, we need to get the food back. So people wanted that food. So I ended up making a deal with, with another strip club and leased a kitchen. Mm -hmm. Put the food in there. About a year or so went by, and then we, you know, we did a, we did a um, pink lounge was still going at the time. It was going, it wasn't going good as it was before. And um, then I got another call from a, a corporation which was RCI that owned Ecstasy, Bombshell, Silver City, Cabbies, Rick's Cabaret, Rick's Cabaret, wanted the same formula for the Breakfast Brothers. So I went and did it and we put it in Cabbies. Then I went to Rick's DFW, Rick's Fort Worth, Rick's Abilene, San Antonio, Austin, and then pandemic hit, wiped us out. What, what's one, one um, cause during the pandemic, everybody was trying to figure it out, man. Learning new skills. Did you learn a new skill during the pandemic? I'm gonna tell you what I did. 
<laughs> I was sitting at home, you know. I had, I was probably, I was probably my man's size at King of Diamonds. I was a lot smaller than this and sitting at home eating, getting bigger and bigger. I said, man, I got to do something. So one day my girl was like, man, I'm going to start doing Instacart. And I was like, what is that? She said, where you go pick up people's groceries and you take and you make this and that. I said, I'm going to go with you. So I went with her and we was doing the groceries and, you know, and she was getting paid on the credit card and she was making $1,500, $2,000 a week. I was like, man, that's good money. So then we were sitting at home and she said, you want something to eat? I said, yeah. I don't feel like going to get it. No, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, we're going to do Uber Eats. And I was like, Uber Eats? Get some Chipotle. So 15 minutes later, Chipotle came, still hot and everything. I was like, damn. I said, damn. Then one day, she won't say, you want to get something to eat? And I said, yeah. And then it was another place. But we're gonna do, I'm going to do DoorDash today because Uber Eats took forever. The other day. I said, DoorDash? What's, that's another delivery food? So I started researching the DoorDash, the Postmates, the Uber Eats. And I said, they stock shot up during the pandemic. I said, man, what if we, so I called my business partner. I said, man, we need to find a food truck because we can pull that food truck up everywhere. And then we went and found the food truck and got the food truck and stopped working our food truck. And I noticed that delivery service was real powerful. So I came up with an idea. So I called our licensing lady. I said, the strip clubs we was in was closed down. Breakfast Brothers is in there as a subcontractor. We got our own, we pay our own taxes out of there. So that means I'm a company inside of company. She said, yeah. What if you call TABC and see if I can get a bar and restaurant license and then I tell the strip club people, and they use, they, 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 they right. So they, the TABC just around that time was transitioning to do that. And then I told RCI, which they already knew too, and I told DGs, and they got a bar and restaurant license, and then we was able to open back up at 50% capacity. So we started doing that too. So I, I'm, when I get ready to do something, I don't like to talk about nothing. I like to get the facts, because I say this all the time, and people say this. People lie, numbers don't. If you research it and you give people the facts, you can't lie about that. So that's where that transition came from. And if you, you look at that, and I seen that, and when I started thinking about the delivery service, I said, we need to find us a small restaurant and do delivery and curbside. So uh, one of my business partners, mother, got a salon in Arlington, and she, and right next door to it used to be a small chicken place, which was, I guess, Henderson's Chicken. Yeah. that turned into a smokehouse thing, too. So she said it's available. So I went and looked at it, and I said, man, we need to get this, make it a Breakfast Brothers. And then we both said, well, man, we don't need to just put paint on the walls. Because every time people got good food, man, and, and it's, got, it's good food, but the places don't look very well. And I said, well, man, he said, man, let's, get, let's go. Because prior to that, we had talked to an architect big firm in Dallas, but he was stupid high. So we went back to him and told him what we was wanting to do. This is some 30, he said, okay, cool. He drew up a rendering and plan. We loved the idea. He drew it up to our personality. And when he drew it up, we loved it. And we did a, I did a deal with the place in Alton on the intent, intent to be delivery and curbside. And once we opened up and people in the entertainment world knew that we had a regular brick and mortar, we, when we opened it up, took off. They, they, wasn't no, they weren't trying to do 50% capacity. I didn't even get to put, you remember back in the restaurant, they used to put the yeah, put stickers the on the floor six oh, feet. Yeah. I didn't even get a chance to put that down. Damn. And people was in there, man. It was, it, we never got a chance to do curbside or none of that. And 
Uber Eats, DoorDash, all of them, Grubhub was blowing my phone up. And I never would do it. And then finally, I transitioned into a deal. I did a deal with DoorDash where they would take less percentage. Oh, exclusive. Exclusive deal with them. That's how powerful the Breakfast Brothers brand became. So they did exclusive deal with us and dropped the percentage. That's crazy. I didn't even know they did exclusive deal. <laughs> Depending on how bad they was. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy, bro. Man, I ain't going to lie, man. You're, you're mine for this. Is that just a natural thing? Do you did you read a book? Like what what was it that allows you to go from industry to because you're going from different industries and you're successful in every one of them? This is is I'm just keep it real, man. I don't you 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 I say this too. You be born to die. So in the time frame, whatever that time frame is, that appointment God got for you, you gotta figure out your plan. I did cars, I managed artists, I've been in the music. I did whatever it was doing, I made a living on it. But the one thing that I did great at, I never paid attention to, and that was cook. And once I finally did what you was born to do, it almost seemed like it's easier than anything else that you did. And it's crazy, because all that, all, everything you're talking about encompasses would be tenfold if you had some good food around. Yep. People will come and sit at your car shop if there's, like, you, I seen a boy do with a barbershop. He just had good hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he just, people come for the hot dog. They don't get That's no like in cooking. New York. When I go to New York, I go to the hot dog stand, give me a hot dog right there on the corner. I don't know what it is about them, them hot dogs. <laughs> the glizzies. Yeah. <laughs> Man. So I got to ask, um, what is one of your proudest moments of, uh, you know, having the Breakfast Brothers um, that you can look back and say, Man, I mean, of course, it's still, you know, it's, we got time to go, but... As of now, what is one of your proudest moments of having, you know, this entity as far as a staple in Dallas? Well, I, I can start here. If you, whenever you go to Breakfast Brothers, if you, when you go in, it's kind of like when you, back in the day when they used to do the Apollo and every guest to come on, they rode the tree stump. Mm. That's a symbol. So mm. when you come in Breakfast Brothers now, our walls and front counter down the walls is bordered with the little black shack. Mm. So we never forget where we came from. We cooked inside of those walls for seven years. They created the foundation to where Breakfast Brothers is going now. So that's my proudest moment. Mm, that's real. To be on a syndicate on CW33 as far as uh, getting your brand out to, you know, the masses, um, how was that for you as far as, you know, what you have planned for Breakfast Brothers, what you have planned for yourself and your brand? Uh, what stepping stone is this? Hold on. Before you, before you answer that, because when uh, we did your show, which thank you for having us on. Yeah, thank you, thank you. That, oh, yeah. Thank you, I didn't even. Thank you, <laughs> nah, for real, because okay. I was like, I went and asked a couple of people, right? Have you watched the Breakfast Brothers show on? Oh, yeah, I watch it every Saturday morning. Like three the people. Bounce. I was like, I was like, because I don't know. Of course, I don't even turn the TV on. Mm -hmm. But I was like, man, it's lit. And we got to do that. For, <laughs> and we got to do that. And, you know, sometimes you don't realize the opportunities you have. Until you see, until you talk to somebody about them. But uh, yeah, back to his. Right. To put us in front of a new audience like that, um, right. again, like he said, we, I haven't watched the show, but I'm on game now. So it was like, what, yeah, what part of the, this is, you know, in your story as far as being able to syndicate on television of, you know, the food that you're able to create and cultivate to the people? What, what happened was when we first did it, CW33 interviewed me when we first probably with the first 90 days when we um, opened up Breakfast Brothers. 
So I did a Zoom interview with CW33 and cooked the food. And my publicist took the food on set and they ate it live. They had a show called the, the morning after, the morning AM, like a Kelly and Regis show that came on every morning. And they ate the food live and I was on Zoom, they interviewed me. And that, after they got through interviewing me, they said, man, this, they was eating it, you know, saying this food is amazing, what is this? You know, asked me a lot of questions. And jokingly, I said, man, whenever, I see y'all ain't got no cook shows, when y'all want a cook show, man, I'm y'all man. And look, and look, because I have seen you on there a couple times on the mor in the morning. And I just, it just is like, oh, that's bro from DG. <laughs> that's what I always used to yeah, think. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's crazy. His food must be real good. I mean, it is good. Yeah. But, but yeah, like, what was that when they said, did, so did, was it something that became like a regular thing? What happened was they, probably a week later, my publicist brought one of the producers over to eat Breakfast Brothers and we had a conversation and she said, you know, we would love to have, you got the idea already on the show? And I, at the time, I didn't have the idea. And I said, no, not really. So we had a conversation about it and put it together there. And they, we did a contract for 52 episodes and we started filming and doing our own thing. And then I was, I started doing it to promote Breakfast Brothers food and Breakfast Brothers alone. And the first episode was with Didi in the morning, Didi from K104 in the morning team. And the second one was Derek James, EJ's boxer. Yeah. Box training uh, uh, manager. So I st when I started thinking and I start kind of like y'all told me early in the interview, y'all got to know the history of Dallas. When I started thinking about it, you know, I'm just talking to Dee Dee and she was telling me her history and where she came from. And then Derek told me he was originally from Oak Cliff and how he grew up. And I was like, man. So my wheels start spinning. So I said, I'm going to start inviting guests. Our culture that I never knew that there was female black dentists. There was there was doctors, uh, that there were artists, I mean, real artists other than, you know, I knew C. Ray, but I didn't know it was other artists in, in, in the world, in Dallas area. So once I started researching that and getting into that, and then I wanted to add the, the entertainment platform to it, and that's where that started from. Man, bruh, <laughs> it's so crazy, because, like, we like to think, like it's, hold on, no, hold on. Because it's four of us, right? And we like to really think that we be having our ears to the street, bro. But you are a legendary in this motherfucker. Nah, legendary now, facts. I just say, I just tell you, I just never was the one that ever wanted to do these interviews. Right. Remember when I first met you, yeah. you was trying to interview, and then yeah. I was like, nah, I don't do interviews. And then my first interview I did was with, uh, at K104, right. on, with, uh, you was there, it was four years ago. I you videoed it. Yeah, 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 I did video yeah. yeah. But, I just never wanted to do it because I, I, was, I was always the one that wanted to manage things and put people out in front of it. I didn't never want to do it, but when Breakfast Brothers became to the point, my business partner said, man, you cooked the food, you came up with the ingredients, you got to start talking about it. Right. We're in a world that where you got to be the face of it. I said, man, I'm not doing that shit. Isn't it funny that life will push you in, in places that you don't really want to be in, but it's like you need to be there? Yeah. But when we first started the show, I was like that too. I didn't want to do it. When they started them and do it, them shows was terrible. I was like, people like, no, they not being real pleasant. They not they they cool, they cool. They not that good. So, I started watching other cook shows, talk shows, different hosts, personality. I started watching how I do my words, almost kind of like when you're an athlete, you watch films to get right. better. Mm -hmm. So I started watching myself and doing my own, being involved in my own edits, and started doing it. So the show got better, but at first the show was terrible. 
<laughs> Did you have you ever thought about uh getting into the edible side of things? Man, I never did, but you know, I I, I know how to make the butter and those different things to get an edible thing. And uh, uh, but, but I I, I had a a, 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 I had a, 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 I won't mess with edibles. I ate a Rice Krispie one time. Oh man! Yeah. I, I, Tell us about your first, <laughs> your first time. Yeah. Man, look, and I, I tell you my story. Boy, I thought, I, I thought, I, you know, my girl was making edibles during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. So she was doing that too. So she had that hustle on the side. So one night she left. She said, "I made you an extra Rice Krispie," and I said, "Okay, cool." So she made me one, but this. I didn't want no, no weed in it because, you know, I don't, I don't, yeah. <laughs> we, hey, we made the sale, not smoke, but no, 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 but it was a pretty big Rice Krispie, and I went in there and ate it, and I said, this tastes like weed, so I called, I said, hey, I thought you left me uh, edible, I didn't make it, I had to get in a hurry, I said, I said, but there's one here I already took a bite of, that's not, that's, that's one got the weed, and I said, oh, man, damn, okay, so I put it, so I put it, now check it out, so, so I put it down, so I put it down and went in the nice. room and sat on the room and I was like, damn, that was kind of good. Yeah. So I went and got it again, took another bite ah, of it. Then next thing you know, know, you know, it was addicting. It was so good. So I went and got the whole thing, set, whole set on the bed. Hey, that rice crisp about this big and that thick and ate the whole thing. And next thing you know, I'm sitting there, I'm going. And the TV seemed like it was right here. <laughs> hold on, hold on. But don't, don't feel like I could hear, feel my heart beating. Yeah. I ain't going to lie though. Tell the truth. Did you go crazy on your girl? Though? Oh man! <laughs> oh man! Check, check, check this out. So that was by nine o'clock. So I reached in my pocket and got my phone. I was fully closed. I had just got home and the TV was right there. But you know the TV was yeah, across yeah, the room. Yeah. It was right there. Yeah. And then I started breathing. I'm like, <sighs> so I laid down and I got nervous and I was like, I was like, all I could see was like. Stuff moving the room, I could just my eyes, and then I got nervous, and I went to go reach for my phone to call her. I could see the phone, but I couldn't reach for it. <laughs> so I man, to about she got home about one or two o'clock. I was high from eight to two o'clock. I thought I was gonna OD. I was high in a bitch. I was yeah. like, I ain't messing with no more edible no, since man, then. Fuck, hold on, we went to Vegas, all of us, <laughs> and uh, one <laughs> look, this boy. My boy Joker, he had some uh, edible Sour Patch Kids. Man, them but look, I don't, I don't, I don't fuck with edibles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I had a Sour Patch in my pocket. I don't even know how I got it. But I pulled that bitch out of my pocket. And I said, "Oh," and I'm just going about the day. And we, I was, I was in, outside, and the wind felt so good. Yeah. I was like, "Damn, it's just a beautiful day." It felt so good outside. I said. Nah. It scared me. I, it was, it was, it felt, I called Joke. I said, did you have some edibles? He said, yep. I said, was they sour patches? He said, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nigga, I would. <laughs> hold on. Hold on, bro. I'm wandering around Las Vegas Casino. I'm trying to find my room. Yeah, man. I just so happened to see my brother, right? I said, Rook. Take me to my room, please. <laughs> he said, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> 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 he, he said, what the fuck happened to you? I said, I'm edible. I don't know how I got to do it. Yeah, man, them things are dangerous. I called my brother BC the next day. 
He said, man, those go, edibles go straight to your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that, man. I ain't, my what? I, I thought I was going to OD. I yeah. breathing hard, feel my chest pumping, everything. <laughs> man, so I ain't going to lie. You, you've had an incredible run <laughs> thus far. Um, what, what's next for you? You know, you got the, you got the TV show. You well, got the Breakfast Brothers. Uh, well, we both, board. I'll tell you this way. We both, we both own the trademark of Breakfast Brothers. The slogan, where we feed your soul, the logo, and we got a jingle, and we own the jingle. So we're going to do about five to six restaurants in the Dallas area, and then we're going to franchise it. We want to buy pad sites, build, build Breakfast Brothers on the pad site. We own the lease, own the land, and we French own the, get a percentage of the franchise. So three different categories. We have a real estate company. We have a company that the restaurants is umbrella in. We got a company that the clubs is umbrella in. Uh -huh. So within, I would say, in a 10-year span, we have enough restaurants and nightclubs in the Dallas area to be the staple. Amen. Hey. Legendary. Yeah. Man, we could sit here and talk to you all day. But sure. <laughs> Thanks. Part one. <laughs> um, you got any shout outs? Man, I just, my shout out, we, everybody that's doing anything, you got a vision, you blessed by the best. You know, Amen. I shout out everybody that, that was part of the movement that I've been involved in for years. And I'm not saying that, I, that a lot of people helped me, you know. You know, Bebe was big in, in, in my career at CKB Entertainment. And that's one thing that I didn't talk about that me and Frosty created and Bebe was a part of too. It was called Latex, the party oh, at Bramley. Oh, Fresh. you were part? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We started it in 2009, it was Latex 2K9, 2K10, 2K11, 12, and I think it started fading around two, 2016, and, and the Latex was Louisiana and Texas. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, that's when niggas start trapping and they didn't give yeah. a fuck. That's when niggas start Niggas, niggas stopped wearing Latex and they got fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we did that without doing the artists, the numbers that we was doing. You know, Bay Bay was real big in, in doing that, you know, Frosty. I shout out a lot of people, Isha Ray, B. Hemp, Luke. Luke with High Life right now. Um, Trill, Trill, DJ Trill. Um, man, uh, Drop, G-Rock, um, uh, D-Real, DJ D-Real. Man, the list goes on and on. Fat Pimp. Um, you know, I know he don't like my business partner. You know, everybody know him as Whitehead. Um, BJ, you know, that's Whitehead's cousin. He called me, I'm, that's my nephew. Uh, man, my kids, my family, my kids are real big on me doing what I do. Man, I, if I forgot, man, I just don't know. It's a lot of shout, people. Shout out your son's uh, bar, barber name. Barber, yeah, Ricky barber Ricardo, that's, that's my son, Ricky Jr. You know, he got uh, Art of Barber in part two. You know, what Ricky really supposed to be doing, Ricky was supposed to be in the NFL. He's supposed to be retiring now from the NFL. Man. But that's a whole nother story. Y'all got to get him on so he can tell that story. Amen. But uh, Ricky. Um, man, BC with Southern Fried Marketing, uh, C Nut, which is affiliated. Yeah, that's how, that's how I know yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the High Rollers, yeah. you know, Word Life. I, you know, a lot of people. You know, I manage artists now. I manage this now is uh, Austin Green. You know, his white kids very coming up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nard, um, Nard, yeah, yeah, uh, Lil B, me and, me and yeah, Lil B, yeah, yeah, stay down, Lil B, uh, man, I mean, no, I, so uh, before we get out of here, um, who do you think 
got the talent to be the next superstar out of, out of Dallas? Dallas-Fort Worth. Dallas-Fort Worth. Man, it's, it's a lot. I, I, me, my opinion, is a lot. It's, you know, I, I'm still, man, I'm a big fan. Yellow Beezy, Trap Boy Freddy, Go Yayo, Lil CJ, uh, Bugatti. All these, man, I, if, if we figured out how to put all those guys together, and it, I put it this way, if they still doing their own thing and it wasn't so much violence in those sit, situations, those errors, I think the industry, we're probably one of the cities, I think, my opinion, is probably the industry is the most scared to sign a lot of people because they feel like there's a lot come with it. You know, we, um, our guys don't play no games. They, you know, what they rap about, they do. Right, so I think it's a lot of people in this city that's artists right now that's, that, that could blow any time. But I think the industry is, is scared of us a little bit when it came to come to what you call a liability. Right. So, you know, I, I like, I listen to all their music. I watch them, you know, I might, I'm one of the ones, I do a lot of research. I might not like a post, I might not say nothing, but I watch all of it, I see it all. You know, it's just like with Lucci, you know. Lucci talent. I remember when I grew up in Oklahoma, you know, when the 808 bass come out with the Nemes, Nemesis and Ron C. We used to listen to them. That, we go get those tapes and that's straight from Dallas. So, you know, Dallas is a big influence. If you start looking at some of the things that, that go on in the music industry, you know, Dallas is a big influence to other cities. Mm -hmm. You know, there's Trap Boy Freddy's in other cities. There's, there was, there was a, Ye go, uh, uh, Yellow Beezy's in other cities. There's Go Yale's. There's Bugatti's. There's there's a Young Nation. I can tell you. Maybe I'm wrong to say this, but to me, young, Three Amigos was Young Nation. <laughs> young Black was a uh, 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 thugger. Definitely. So you know, you look at it. These are the influences that at Atlanta that we influenced, and they 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 blew up. It was because I won't say one way or another. Dallas. Does, deserve a lot of things, but I think a lot of things that go on, people think that Dallas is, 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 we influence people. The problem is I think the industry just don't know how to handle us. So they try to handle us with, with BS deals and we don't, we don't take them. Um, you got a lot of stuff coming up before, yeah, we, we, we. You got a new location open up in Redbird. You got yeah. things going on yeah, the second, the summer. The second location, um, is in Redbird, and they call it Shops of Redbird, where Redbird Mall was, they gentrified all that. That's the yeah, second location coming in July. Uh, we're doing Taste of Dallas, June 10th, June 11th, and 12th. We actually in the VIP booth at the Taste of Dallas at the Market, market Hall. Um, the food truck, I probably got 20, 20 to 25 events that's already booked for the food truck. Um, we finna start doing nightclubs again with the food truck. I've been getting calls for that, so. It don't stop. I get my emails stay full with people want catering. We've got, I got a catering. So we got three departments. We got the restaurant, the food truck, and the catering department. Look, we just, hey, can you hire us? We need some extra shit to do. Yeah. <laughs> look, 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 hold on, hold on. Can we get like a street star waffle? Can we get like a, a waffle that's a star? No, nah, I got you. I got, we can do something signature. I hey. got you. Fat, matter of fact, I got two signatures that came from two people. Fat Pim got a song. I got a, you remember the Rack Daddy song? He got a sandwich called a Rack Daddy you can get at, at Breakfast Brothers. It's a Rack Daddy sandwich that come with bacon or sausage, fried egg, oh, that's uh, and home style potatoes. Then I made a Davion yeah, we, we, we definitely, 
You said, uh, bro, before before we really get out of here. Yeah. Make us say it on camera. <laughs> I, we, nah, here we are. We done made him promise a bunch of shit on this motherfucker. <laughs> Look, before we get out of here, how hard is it to, as many people as you know and as many good friends as you got, how hard is it to run a food business and not everybody expect everything for free? Well, I ain't really had that problem because for some reason or another, everybody that's connected to me want to support. They pay for it. Amen. I, right. I, hadn't, I hadn't had that problem yet, and, and they pay for it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Support the black kings and queens out here. Man, man, this has been legendary for us, for sure. And we love when, when black excellence comes in here and... We love to learn, and you really, you are a wealth of information, a wealth of knowledge. We thank you so much for giving us some of your time and coming to sit down with us. Right. I want to say this last thing. Yes, I always say this in my interviews. I have different ways I put it. It's two ways. These two words should never go together, rich and famous, because sometimes you're way famous before you're rich. Yeah. Now, you want to be the grave digger, or you want to be the person that manufactures shovels? No disrespect to the grave digger. You want to be the shovel. Manufacture shovels. Yeah. Now it got to the point, you want to be the grave digger or you want to be the manufacturer of the John Deere? John Deere is digging the ditches now. Hey, we trying to be rich. <laughs> so you got to figure that out. Can we get you to do the Ricky Bobby? Before you... <laughs> <laughs> Pose for the Pose for the frame. <laughs> I, will, I can't even say owner and operator, a brother, a king of Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> nah, for real, you need to. Hey, don't Rick. mention no gatekeeper. I ain't no gatekeeper. He said, like, I ain't got no gates. I, don't, I, don't I do everything for sale gates. I ain't got one gate. <laughs> we thank you so much for. Ricky Booker, we thank you so much for coming and being on I mean, the show. I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah. And hey, you are a real life street star. Shout out to real street stars, nigga. Move.